agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government hugs the government love. The government hugs the government love. The government Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney and defender of freedom, Jay Carson. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hey, Jay. How are you doing this week? This morning? Today? Whatever. This morning. This morning. Um, uh, gosh, I thought I'd have something clever. Um, because, you know, I, I wasn't thinking because I'm going to be doing the story intros, so I forgot to do to come up with something clever. You know, part, that's, so. it's, it, and I, I got to say to folks, I, I really appreciate it. It's been a hell of a week. Yeah. I just, I guess that's all we can say, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I the reason why Jay is going to be doing the story intros this week is I asked him if he could do that because I am currently recovering from COVID. So if you hear some weird little uh, sounds on, on my end, I will try to mute out and take out everything I can. But uh, I'm still feeling a little bit uh, more than a little bit rough at times. And so please bear with me, accept my apologies in advance uh, for for that. But but I was going to say, like a, like an injured Kirk Gibson stepping to the plate <laughs> in the, uh, the the ninth inning of the, the 88 World Series or the flu-ridden Michael Jordan uh, coming off the bench um, in the uh, the NBA Finals, but uh, you're here. You're here for America now. I am. I am absolutely here for America now. And of course, we have uh, an awful lot to talk about uh, today. With uh, the first thing we're going to be talking about, obviously, is the Supreme Court abortion ruling, the guns ruling, maybe the Senate, uh, uh, the congressional vote on actually uh, firearms legislation. And we'll see how far we get past that. I don't know. But uh, we do have a lot to get into, and we are going to get into it in just a few seconds here. Okay, our first story uh, is obviously uh, the court's decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Uh, this may be, in some ways, Mike, it's it, the biggest story we've we've done since uh, since we started doing the show. Uh, on uh, just yesterday, uh, the court ruled six-three uh, to uh, uh, allow. Um, uh, Mississippi's uh, 15 month or 15 month. Jeez, yeah. that'd be a while. Yeah. <laughs> Completely changed the, the, uh, the game playing field. Uh, ban uh, on abortions after 15 weeks. Um, uh, now, the court's 6 3 decision w- did not necessarily uh, eliminate all of Roe versus Wade, but the court's uh, 5 4 decision did. Uh, the Chief Justice. Uh, essentially said he could have reached or the court should have reached uh, a a decision that could have still upheld the Mississippi law uh, while maintaining some vestiges of of Roe uh, and or uh, Casey. Um, uh, interesting, the uh, uh, dissent was was not surprising in that it's the argument was this will lead to the um, uh, Pull back on on other rights um, of note, and this is something we'll we'll talk a good deal about. I think is uh, Clarence Thomas's concurring uh, opinion, uh, in which which has been taken to suggest that uh, there are other rights on the chopping block. Uh, Mike, I think you and I are going to read that much differently uh, as as we as we talk about this. Um, but I, I, you know, with with no further ado, I guess we should we should get into this. Um, you know, the the court's notion. Uh, the way it it uh, phrased this, it's a the whole opinion of including dissents and appendices and all that is some 
close to 250 pages, um, which can take a take a chunk out of your Friday afternoon. Uh, <laughs> but you know, what what they do is the court walks through. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, it's it's jurisprudence on how it got to Roe and then talks about um, stare decisis and the the factors that courts look at when determining whether to overturn uh, a, a presidential ruling, um, uh, walks through that and determines that there is no way that, that Roe can stand. Um, and, you know, I guess I guess, Mike, that's maybe my first thought is, is to pitch that to you is um, what did you think of the the majority's opinion? on this, on the, the, the analysis of the stare decisis analysis. Yeah. Um, and, and I should point out right there were, uh, it was a lot better in, in a sense than, than Roe because there were only five opinions, right? Uh, right, uh, right. The, the majority of the dissent and, and the three concurrences, but uh, on that, on that specific issue of uh, precedent, I mean, at, I think certainly uh, the idea that uh, stare decisis means that you never uh, you never overrule anything is, of course, just patently false, right? Because plenty and that's and that's why, in fact, the court. It, it's not. Yeah, <clears throat> the, the line the line is uh, that stare decisis is not an inexorable command. Inexorable command. There you go. You know, and, and so and so. The, I mean, if you accept the majority's reasoning that <clears throat> this uh, that Roe is as bad, basically, as Plessy versus Ferguson, that it is one of the most egregiously horrible decisions in the Supreme Court's history, then, of course, you don't say, but, you know, it's been around for a while. That that makes no sense. So, yeah, that, I think the if you're arguing that it should stand just on precedent alone, that makes no sense at all, certainly. And I think that the majority does a good job of explaining under what conditions precedent can and, in fact, should be overruled. So I didn't really have a problem with that. Of course, you have to accept the fundamental argument that this was a horrifically poorly decided and wrongly decided thing, right? So, but, you know, it it seems to me that uh, the way I kind of conceptualized all this, because we both read the the whole thing, and, and there's an awful lot going on here. Right. Um, it's not as messy as Roe, but there's still a lot going on. And it seems to me that, um, you know, the way here's how I interpreted the majority opinion uh, that, well, you know, substantive due process is OK, but it only applies to the first eight amendments or unenumerated rights that are, in the words of the uh, opinion, deeply rooted in the nation's history and tradition at the time that the 14th Amendment was ratified. Right. And, then, and that that's not necessarily anything new. Well, we can get into that. But then they, they go on from that base to say, well, abortion isn't that right. And that that this is not something, even if you argue that there might be some sort of right here under substantive due process, which we're not throwing out, unlike Justice Thomas, we'll get to that, that that this is not we look at the historical record and we we find that at that time that. Abortion was not deeply rooted, and that therefore this is not something that's that's any a right in any way in the Constitution, and so it reverts to the states to decide through the democratic process. That to me is kind of the the fundamental argument that the majority is making here. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's right. Um, and and just to walk through real quickly the the, the five factors 
because I know you like enumerated factors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but in, in looking at whether to, to overturn a, a decision, the, the factors the court looks at are, one, the nature of the court's error. Uh, how bad? How bad is this? Um, uh, second, the quality of the reasoning. Uh, third, workability. Uh, is the proposed order actually workable uh, in practice? Uh, effect or effect on other areas of the law, and uh, I lost five. Like I'm, I'm paging through. If you can see my desk, I have, uh, I have uh, five reliance interests, which I should have known off the top of my head. Um, uh, so you know those those five factors they they went through and they said one, uh, in terms of the, uh, the the nature of the error the. The magnitude of the error, they said, this is this is pretty big um, because uh, this this very much looked to be um, a, a decision uh, that is not really tethered to much in the Constitution. And it was a really big statement. Uh, it, it, it was not some some small matter. Uh, the quality of the reasoning that goes to say, again, what it was 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 tethered to. And they criticized uh, Roe and also Casey. Uh, on on that front, that again, there was not much constitutional analysis. There was sort of this: well, uh, this right kind of sort of exists under the uh, Fourth Amendment, Ninth Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment. Uh, you pick uh, any any combination thereof, um, uh, and that was a little a little so, slipshod. So, so Casey more firmly grounded it specifically in the 14th amendment. And I think Correct. before, before I go further on this, let's, let's uh, make a lot of listeners probably are aware of this, but how we get from the 14th amendment to uh, the argument for a right to terminate a pregnancy might not be entirely clear on the surface of it. I mentioned substantive due process. And to me, this is, this is really critical to this argument either way. And it's the idea that the, the 14th amendment, uh, Jay, as you well, no, of course, says that, you know, that uh, has due process protections that you can't be provide. You can't be deprived of of life as life, liberty, property life without liberty, yes. due process of law. Now, that means two things. Well, at least two different. Well, at least one thing. It means that procedurally, the state just can't come in and say, hey, we're going to lock you up or do stuff to you without some sort of, well, process. You get notice in a hearing. Exactly. That's procedural due process. Now, substantive due process is this idea that there are there are certain there are certain things that just simply can't be done that are kind of fundamental to ordered liberty and deeply rooted the concept of ordered liberty. Exactly. Yes. And so even if you have a process, you still can't. Our, do it. Our system order, order liberty, yeah. I think is the word. And that's this notion of substantive due process. And so then the question becomes one of, well, if there is this substantive due process that refers to things that the state cannot do, but these things are not enumerated in the Constitution, how do we know what they are? Right. Yeah. And, and that's where the... And then the one response is, well, we look to history and what was what was uh, sort of assumed and a, a you know treated as a fundamental right at the time it was adopted. Exactly, and and that's where I, I say the majority says that well, abortion isn't that. Now the dissenters, they they of course Breyer's dissent, they certainly agree that substantive due process is a real thing and should be, but. It also applies not just to whatever the uh, traditions and history was kind of at the time that that amendment was ratified, but 
The dissenters argue that our history and our traditions change over time, and so therefore that our understanding of what is covered, in essence, under this notion of substantive due process in and of itself will change over time. And that's more of a, I mean, you, you talk about that. Like a living constitution. There you, there you go. Right. I mean, that's the sort of thing. And that's so, that, but even even more than that, the dissenters would argue that the majority is wrong in its reading of even the, the prior history and saying that, well, the majority kind of cherry picks these things here and there and says, well, there's nothing rooted. But they, the, the dissenters make arguments about, you know, there weren't these prohibitions against uh, uh, abortion prior to quickening, as it was called, and so forth. And so they argue that that, in effect, means that there was something that was deeply rooted. And the majority comes back and says, well, wait a second. It's one thing to say that was based. Yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. But it's one thing to say that something was not legally prohibited, but to say that there's not a law against it means that there is a right that is deeply rooted. That's those are two different sort of things, and you know that's not an unreasonable argument. Yeah, and also, also if you consider the 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 quickening argument, which actually is something I, I, I want to talk about sometime, and we might get get to it might not get to it because it's not even necessarily a political argument it's more just a weird personal thing i was going to throw in but um you know that that was in effect the only measure that that they had in those days at the time it was it was um uh the the 14th amendment was ratified um right again quick quickening meaning yeah that you can detect fetal movements so but but i mean if if we kind of continue on with with this maybe is the place to get to just because I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the sort of substantive due process thing, right? Now, there is Justice Thomas who agreed with the majority uh, decision, but said, you know, substantive due process is just is just junk. It's nonsense. And we should we should not rely on substantive due process for this because it's not anything. It's, and he's right. It's nothing that's actually in the Constitution. It's just something that was made up basically by the court. And uh, he says, and not only in this, but hey, let's actually overrule. We should overrule everything that relies on substantive due process. process. And that's 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 what a lot of folks on the left, especially, were freaked out about. And he says, what does that mean? Well, we we'd we'd over we have to take another look at uh, our rulings on gay mar- uh, gay marriage, on sodomy, on uh, on. Uh, uh, same-sex marriage, sodomy. The other, there's other big one. I'm I'm blanking on um, right now. Uh, it's it's Lawrence Obergefell well, and yeah. yeah, and contraception. Yeah, there you go. And yeah. now here's here's an important thing we need to bring up here, though, is that if you actually read Thomas's dissent as opposed or dissent his concurrence as opposed to just cherry picking, what you'll find is he doesn't say we should overturn all these cases. What he's saying is that we need to look at them and see if there is some other grounds for arguing that there is a constitutional right. Now, this has been actually Justice Thomas's kind of lonely, uh, quixotic quest for quite a while now. He hates substantive due process with the fiery passion of a thousand supernovaing sons. But he's kind of a he's a lone wolf on this. There's, I think, some instance that I believe it's Justice Gorsuch was like, well, you know, you're not entirely crazy, but this is a pretty radical 
type of and, and you know Justice Thomas he is a conservative but he is an he is an activist conservative he's he always has well not always but he's very comfortable saying hey let's just throw everything out the window and do it this way which makes more sense to me and so he's kind of like the anti uh, the anti justice Chief Justice Roberts in that sense right but this idea that all of these rights are going to be on the chopping block I, I think. I understand the argument here, but I think that it really doesn't keep in the mind how very radical Justice Thomas is, even on that court. Because, I mean, he, he no one joined him in this concurrence, right? Not even Sam Alito was like, oh, well, let's not even go there, right? So, yeah, I, I think that's just Justice Thomas being Justice Thomas. No, I, I, I would say that's that's exactly right. Um and and it's it's a weird thing with this conversation because there's there's so much to talk about. I wasn't sure what what we'd get to when or, or where we'd steer it, but but yeah, on Thomas, one, I think the the media uh, and Democrats have been sort of misinterpreting um, what he said, and uh, it 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 falls to us because to, to provide context for for these for his his statements, um, and yes, he has always and forever hated substantive due process. And it's it's a largely academic argument, right, uh, that he's making that he says, uh, well, substantive due process, we shouldn't rely on that because it is just a completely kind of court made up doctrine. Uh, and because it's a completely court made up doctrine, it ha there is the danger uh, of, of courts uh, in, in inserting their own policy preferences into that doctrine. Um, and this this goes back to sort of its uh, uh, origins. Um, Mike, you're well familiar, and maybe our, our listeners are, with the case of Lochner versus New York. Um, and this this kind of goes back to the beginnings of, of substantive due process. And in Lochner versus New York, Lochner uh, was a guy who worked at a bakery. New York imposed uh, certain hour restrictions. Lochner said, "No, I want to I want to work more hours, um, uh, and I have a, a essentially a liberty interest uh, in doing this because look the." Um, the Constitution does have a a, uh, a contracts clause that says the government shall not um, uh, impede uh, uh, contracts, uh, which has never been interpreted to mean the government can't make certain contracts illegal. But there was sort of the the idea of well, if you kind of squint and and look at that and take it in the context of these of the Fourteenth Amendment and other um, uh, these other uh, provisions of the Constitution, well, yeah, I've got a I have a right to contract. Um, uh, a constitutional right to contract. And that's what the court decided. Um, and uh, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes famously dissented in that, saying the Constitution doesn't recognize any uh, one economic theory over another. Um, and then, you know, Lochner was a case in the, the 20s, and then almost immediately, not almost immediately, but immediately in Supreme Court terms, uh, they started to backtrack on that uh, and say, no, 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 this wasn't really what they meant. And it sort of became... Um, the the term Lochnerization is is sort of a, um, um, you know, it's it's sort of an insult if you're if you're accused of Lochnerizing. That's sort of uh, them's fighting words. Uh, uh, so so they, they they moved away from the substantive due process in economic rights, uh, and then sort of reopened that that front uh, in uh, later cases such as Griswold, uh, which then uh, you know flowed into Roe. Um, so, but but Thomas's point is, uh, look, none of this is the, the that's the very issue is if you have justices who are maybe of a 
mindset that they are more likely to find these economic substantive due process rights, uh, that they're injecting something that isn't in, in the Constitution. Likewise, uh, if you have justices who are more apt to find these other um, social or, or personal, personal autonomy, uh, I guess we'll call them uh, substantive due process rights, um, you know, that's not in there either. And and the, the intellectually honest um, thing to do is just say, uh, this is all a load of crap. <laughs> and his his preference would be uh, incorporating uh, incorporation of of these other rights based on the privileges and immunities clause uh, of the, the Constitution. And, what, um, and just to be clear, what, what which again what, we're getting what, deep in the well, well, no, what, and what Jay means by that is is the uh, the rights that we tend to think of as our rights as citizens of the United States, you know, freedom of the press, religion, right to bear arms. None of those things, recall. Uh, initially applied to the states they were they were rights you had uh, as a citizen against against the state in terms of the federal, federal government, government but the states could do you know whatever the hell they want i mean depending on what was in the state constitutions and so over time these rights were held to also these protections were also held to apply to protections against the state as opposed to the federal through, government through the, through the 14th amendment through the 14th amendment yeah, it was the 14th amendment that worked the magic that essentially said Oh yeah, all the, the your bill of rights and all your other rights that we've recognized as against the federal government, those also apply to the states. Yeah, but that but that is but that is also judge created law. That is, I mean, it says Congress shall make no law, not the state legislature shall make no law. Now, what Justice Thomas is saying is that well, if we just go one sentence before in the Fourteenth Amendment, it says no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. And there we go. That's actually a much more that, that's a much clearer sort of grant of uh, or a much clearer instruction, if you will, than. And this kind of, well, we'll call it substantive due process sort of thing. And, you know, like I said, I, you know, there's a. I think it's the more intellectually yeah. honest approach, but I think that ship has sailed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I agree. So I, I think from a strictly kind of theoretical point, you know, Justice Thomas is maybe more right than anyone else who, who wrote on this in this opinion. But. That doesn't mean I think we should do what he suggests for all of the reasons that I'm sure uh, Chief Justice Roberts could go on at great length uh, discussing. Yes. No. And again, you do get this sense of, oh, there he goes again. Um, uh, and and it's, the other thing is, is uh, I think, important to note, if you read Thomas's uh, concurrence, um, the cases he cites to, he sort of cites to himself um, in all these prior dissents. Um, where where it, it is sort of like, look, I've been telling you guys for 30 years <laughs> that the substantive due process uh, is, is a load of crap. Um, and and again, he's not entirely alone on that. If you if you Google substantive due process is a load of crap, um, you'll find plenty of scholarly articles uh, that'll say uh, more or less that that, uh, you know, raise those kind of arguments. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I think the sense that this is there, there's certainly nothing that any court would rely on, and Thomas says this, um, would rely on to turn back uh, uh, other other rights. There's nothing in this case that somehow makes it precedental that you can then go back and say, well, o Obergefell was, uh, was wrongly decided.
Yeah, and, and certainly in Justice Kavanaugh's concurrence, a big part of it was, or at least a part of it, was essentially pay no attention to Justice Thomas here. Um, you know, right. that uh, we're not saying... A crazy uncle, and he's always saying that. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and I, I get how, if you assume that the, the, the six or five of the six conservatives on the court have a... Uh, have a bad faith agenda to basically try to roll back the clock on rights to a hundred years ago or more, then you're just going to assume that this is a cover and this is just the start of a slippery slope. And and I get that. If you start from an assumption of, of bad faith, then that totally makes sense. That's not where I start from, uh, at least uh, well, with I think really pretty much with all of the, the justices, actually, um, I, I, I accuse them of a lot of things, but I, I don't really think that bad faith is one of those things. And I know that this is where I depart from, say, Ken and, and a lot of other people on the left. I just think that they view the Constitution in, in a, a fundamentally different way as I do on many issues, but that it's not inherently wrong. They're just starting from different kind of suppositions. Well, or that there's, you know, the. Um there's somehow the master plan um, that that uh, conservatives will elect all these justices so that one day they can um, um, uh, enable states to, you know, to uh, ban contraception. Um, uh, well, that, that being said, I go to Republican uh, events and that's the first thing out of people's mouth is like, when are we going to, you know, I mean, uh, it's just sort of nonsensical. Well, yeah, um, that, that, that being that being said, I think that's where, you know, we have to ask the question of, well, what does it mean to turn this, if, if there is in fact no, as Justice Thomas would argue, no constitutional right to say contraception, because I can't imagine an alternative section or, 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 or clause in the Constitution. If there is no right to contraception, if there is no right to, uh, if the state can freely ban or criminalize sodomy, and I think that certainly is an argument you could make, um, then what does that mean? Does that mean that governments that will start to ban that sort of thing? I would expect not. And certainly, I have to say that this is going to come off as me. I would more than say expect not. Well, well yeah. you know, there are some areas where I don't know, you know, some some jurisdictions, there are some states where I could sort of see, you know, if in Mississippi, uh, uh, some legislator uh, introduced a bill to criminalize or recriminalize sodomy. I don't know if that wouldn't actually pass. Um, so that, I think, is uh, a serious, not, not, a, not a trivial type of concern. Now, I think if that sort of thing came before the court, the court would rely on sort of the, I think, faulty logic that uh, Justice Alito cited or cited here, saying that well, we don't have to worry about this logic applying to other things because, well, abortion is different. Now, yeah. if you if you and, track and I, that, I wanted to point out. I don't want to interrupt you, but this is good because I wanted to point out that you and I had a very similar conversation on this a couple months ago. Um, where you you asked me a number of times, say, listen, you know, is there if you accept a a right to privacy, um, as part of substantive due process, or that that, that substantive due process, uh, assuming it exists, encompasses a right to privacy, does that not uh, necessarily lead to uh, a right to abortion? And 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 my answer, and I think your agreement uh, was was more or less along the same lines as as where the majority came out, 
Well, here, um, no, I actually. Even where Roberts came out a little bit, right? That you can you can recognize privacy, but not abortion. No, I, I think I think the majority is being incredibly intellectually dishonest here. Um, I think the the logic at this particular point is just absurd. Because what they're saying, again, this is a, this is an argument, a, a substantive due process argument. And the test is, is this right? Is this alleged right deeply rooted in our history and traditions? If it is, then OK, it is covered. If it isn't, then it isn't. It has not, There's nothing this weird little sidecar of, well, abortion competing, is different. Competing interest. Yeah, no, there's, that's in fact, that's that's specifically what the court said. They wouldn't consider that every single circuit court that ruled on this got wrong that, no, this is this, there's no competing interest test here. That's we we strike this entirely. And so if you follow the court's logic, then this would mean if the court followed its own logic, then it absolutely means I, there's no question in my mind if they were being intellectually dishonest that if there were a sodomy law, they would uphold it. If there were or, or an anti-sodomy law, they would uphold it. They would overturn the gay marriage ruling. Absolutely. But I, my point here is that they specifically inserted this erroneous logic in the majority opinion so that they could go back on this and say, well, we don't actually have to overturn these things. So it's, it's intellectually horrifically dishonest. And Alito is smart enough to understand that and other people who signed on to it, but they just don't want to go there basically. And that's, you know, if you're on the Supreme court, you can, you can use bad logic to get to a preferred result, which is exactly, of course, what they were arguing that the majority in, uh, that the, that the court in Roe did, they're doing the same thing here. Just it, the difference difference is, is that they're kind of walling off abortion, uh, and but but they're doing it in a way that really doesn't stand up to any kind of logical scrutiny. So, so you, I mean, you you would go. I mean, I'm not I'm not putting words in your mouth, but it's almost like you would say you'd prefer the Thomas uh, intellectually honest substantive due process is a load of crap. It's all got to go. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's the only. This is the, that's the only. I, no, look, I, I agree with I agree with you that that is more consistent. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to describe the, the majority's um, decision as intellectually dishonest. Um, uh, I would say not in its entirety, say, but on that say, point. Yeah, no, look, but I, I agree. They're they are putting in a um, uh, an exception that wasn't necessarily there before. Yeah, right. They're, they're I exactly. Think, I think that's a good distinction. But, I think but, that's a, a reasonable distinction that you can make. But they're they're putting in a judge made berm, if you will, or firewall. That has no basis in the Constitution, which is, I mean, so they're, they're so, creating. So I wouldn't, but here's, I would argue that there is a basis in the Constitution. Okay. Um, because, um, you know, we talk about life, liberty, or property. And, and I, think, I think you can make the argument that this is, there is a, a, a competing interest in life um, uh, in an abortion case that there is not. In some of these other instances, well, I, I I don't necessarily disagree with that argument, and like you said, we've made that argument a number of times. But of course, in very forcibly and very clearly in the opinion, Justice Alito dismissed that argument, and so that's I guess the crux. Well, of, not the not crux really. Of I mean, problem. I think he sort of says abortion is different because there is a competing right. No, in fact, he said if if you if you read, he said he said specifically is we we will not consider 
we should not consider competing rights. This whole this whole notion that when when uh, circuit courts have taken a look at this case, they've looked at history, which is correct, and then they've looked at this sort of weight. I forget how they put it. This weighing argument, and that is totally incorrect and uh, unacceptable. And so they threw that out very specifically. And that I think, if you're going to do that, well, then you can't do that just for this. You have to do it for everything. So, so, so I'm looking to so here I'm I'm pulling up the um this is this is page 37 uh if you're following playing along at home um so first if the long sweep of history imposes any restraint on the recognition of unenumerated rights then Roe was surely wrong since abortion was never allowed except to save the life of the mother in a majority of states for over 100 years um and then he says uh, it's impossible to defend Roe based on the prior precedent because of the precedents Roe cited, including Griswold and Eisenstadt, uh, were clear, critically different for a reason that we have explained, uh, Colin. None of those cases involved the destruction of what Roe called potential life. So to me, I think he, he does put in that that additional that additional factor that this is abortion no, I'm, I'm, is different, no. and this is and this is why. Now you you can say that yeah, that's a that's. No, I'm not, we're not. We're not disagreeing. We're not disagreeing on that. But no. I'm saying that it's just something that he made up. It's there's nothing. There's no constitutional yeah. basis for that. There was that is that is not part of the test that was exactly previously in place. Yes, I, I agree on that. Yeah. And so that that's what I mean about it being. And there's no way he doesn't understand that. And so what I'm saying is is that the the majority said, "Well, listen, we really want to overturn Roe." But we don't want to follow our logic to its natural conclusion, which is what Justice Thomas, well, not even, the Thomas actually goes one step further, right? Because Thomas just says, let's throw out substantive due process entirely. He would, yes, throw out an entire body of law. But yeah, exactly. But that what what the court's saying here is that we have a new we are we are announcing this test for what actually is covered by substantive due process. And Roe does not or abortion does not meet this standard, but neither would contraception, neither would uh, anti sodomy laws and so forth. They don't talk about that, certainly. Uh, but Justice Thomas uh, uh, certainly would would agree. Justice Thomas would agree with me on is, this. But isn't it part of the job, the court's job to draw these kind of distinctions and to say, look, this is uh, this is why X is different than Y. It's important this is to why draw those precedents don't apply here. Well, see, yes, I would say. But if you are a conservative, if you are a so-called conservative justice arguing that judge that that Supreme Court justices should not be making up distinctions just out of whatever they happen you're to want to do or stick to the test. If that's if they, if your argument is that, hey, we interpret the Constitution and we don't insert our own preferences. Well, then I think it's a lot harder it, to make that kind of argument. Whereas if you're if you're a justice on the left saying that, well, we need to consider more than just the text as it was understood at the time, then it's being a lot more intellectually consistent if you want to go with consistent as opposed to honest and dishonest, and maybe that's a better way to do yeah, it. No, I think that's, no, I think that's, yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. You know, uh, we still have a, a lot more to get into here, but let's just take a quick break and we get back to Justice Roberts. Uh, I definitely want to talk a little bit about Justice Roberts' concurrence because I think that was pretty important as well here. 
Okay, Jay. So, uh, so sorry for that. Sorry for that uh, brief break, folks. It's, it's only so much that you know Mucinex and Halls can do <laughs> for for a person. So anyway, um, but now, let me let me throw in. I want to make one uh, self correction. I said uh, Lochner was decided in the 1920s. It was actually 1905. Oh, there you go. Okay, even even. Um, but I was that. I was thinking of uh, uh, Atkins versus uh, Children's Hospital of DC, okay, which yep. was uh, minimum wage, which was 1923. Got it. So, you know, I, I, I want to talk about Justice Rob, Chief Justice Roberts. I I feel for the guy, um, uh, you know, because his concurrence, I, I, I think, was important. I, I agreed with it, but I disagree with it. First off, the, the Chief Justice argues that Mississippi basically pulled a bait and switch on the court. Right. Because in the initial in the initial uh, arguments, they said, hey, listen, you don't have to overturn or even consider the constitutionality of Roe versus Wade or Casey to allow for our law to stand. And in fact, we're not even asking you to do that. But then at at oral argument, I believe it was, they said, well, actually, maybe you should do that, right? That would be a better idea, essentially. And and, and the chief justice says, well, listen, we granted this to look at these issues. And now we're all of a sudden going to look at broader issues, but we don't need to look at these broader issues to decide this case, essentially. And, and he had, a, he had a, a great line on this. He said, if it is not necessary to decide more to dispose of a case, then it is necessary not to decide more. Um, yes. And, and, you know, and that's, I, that's, sort of, <clears throat> that's sort of a, a, a well, uh, well-known, well-regarded principle, right? If you can um, avoid uh, a, a making a big constitutional change uh, by by making some other sort of interpretation. Um, Justice Brandeis sort of set out what were called the, the Brandeis rules that were sort of the a, a guide to conservative small c uh, judging, and that was that was one of them. Yeah, and, and so I you know I think the majority's response to this was interesting because one of the things we didn't get. When we saw the draft opinion, when you see final opinions, you get to hear the justices talking or responding to each other's arguments. And the majority response actually sort of throws Roberts back at Roberts here. Um, And uh, Justice Alito writes, while the concurrence is moved by a desire for judicial minimalism, we cannot embrace a narrow ground of decision simply because it is narrow. It It must also be right. And that was actually a quote from, well, Chief Justice Roberts actually concurring in a case. And so, you know, here's the thing. I think Roberts was right, but in the sense that the, the, the majority's argument, I think, was maybe more compelling to me because what Roberts basically said is, well, we don't have to decide this now. But the majority says, well, but given all these other laws that are coming up, we are still going to have to decide this and we just want to be done with this and we don't want to kick this can down the road basically now i and well so, something else i was going to mention that the majority says um is and and again i'm i i think it's 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 an interesting to note i don't know that it's it's of it's huge constitutional importance but that the um the respondents in this case um uh argued that or i'm sorry the the um um the palance, uh, argued that uh, the you know they there was no middle ground uh, that they sort of told the court look if you uh, agree to say that 15 weeks is permissible 
uh, under whatever theory, uh, under saying, well, that's not an undue burden or uh, some other version, right? That you can, you, you get there and uphold 15 weeks, but still uphold Roe. You just can't do it. It's all or nothing because that would essentially eviscerate Roe. Uh, so it, there was sort of a doubling down. Now that's that's the court is of course free to, you know, adopt whatever reasoning and proposed remedies, um, uh, you know, the claimants give them, especially the Supreme Court. So it's I'm not saying that that's you know the, the court is there for somehow. Well, it looks like we got to overturn Roe because these guys said so, uh, or these sides. But but I, I think that's I think that's interesting. Um, that uh, you know that that was in the, um, the majority uh, notes that a number of times. You know, and also I should point out, Justice Roberts suggested a different standard, uh, what he called a reasonable opportunity standard, right? Because it, yeah. his argument was that, well, what a, what if instead we, we well, his argument was that we can not overturn Roe and Casey if we just simply say, well. We can also uphold the Mississippi law, but we can't do that under our under the standard set in Casey. So we need a different standard. And his was reasonable opportunity. What what he means by that is, is that the, the state must allow a woman to have a reasonable opportunity to obtain an abortion. Uh, and now that would that would basically move the clock back further. Right. And so Mississippi would be OK. And, it, and I think Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts mentioned kind of the uh, the sort of 12 week standard in a lot of other countries and saying that, well, we could kind of fit in there and we wouldn't have to do anything big. This would not be his, his, the phrase he likes, a jolt to the legal system. And, and I think he's he's right in that. But that also is not the most intellectually clear and honest decision, because I think the majority is right that sort of that 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 standard of undue burden and viability are, are more tied up in Roe and Casey than you'd like to admit. And so I don't necessarily object to the chief justice's solution, in a sense, this standard. But I think that to do that, you would also have to clearly affirm that there is, in fact, a right to uh, obtain a, a right to terminate a pregnancy, which, which, he sort of, which he seems to do. Right. But, but he doesn't he really want to. The That's the weird thing. He, I think if he were pushed on it, he'd say, well, no, I don't actually think this is a right. But, geez, guys, do we really have to decide this Come now? On, guys. Yeah. How, <laughs> exactly. how about if we just sort of massage this sort of thing? And, and I get that. But it leaves me feeling that's you know that's 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 John Roberts right he likes to kind of chip away at these things but not make these big changes and i have a lot of sympathy for that because i feel like his general inclination toward judicial minimalism and incrementalism is is right is fundamentally right and on one point he so says and at one point he says, so does he, yeah, right? exactly. He, I wrote it before. Yeah. I mean, at one point he says, I, I don't, I just simply do not share the certainty that either the majority or the dissenters share. And I'm like, yes, I, I I'm with you there, buddy. Right. Um, and I think that's what judges, I, I would respond, but you are the chief justice, you know? Yeah. I, and so my, my heart is with John Roberts on this and I would love my, my perfect, my perfect Supreme Court justice would be John Roberts, a left of center, John Roberts, you know, but uh, so, so yeah, I, my heart is with him, but I just think that it doesn't quite work the way he would like it to kind of work out basically. So what strikes me in the Roberts opinion in reading it is a couple of things, a couple of times even goes back to mentioning, look, you're kind of within the second trimester and, uh, 
um, he says, like, you know, look, I think we we uh, you know could could overturn the tests in in Roe and Casey. Um, uh, but then he starts talking about trimesters, uh, but still uphold that there's a right to abortion that's established there. Um, and to me, all and, and then he talks about limits in, in other countries. And once you start talking like that, to me, that that sounds for all the world like a legislative compromise. And and I think it might be that might be a good legislative compromise, um, but it's not it's not constitutional judging. Um, right. And I think that's that's the thing. And I also uh, again, my my heart goes out to him uh, in terms of. Uh, the and I, I I appreciate the, the the humility right in his statement that of look I I'm not you know entirely confident of uh, oh I want to pull up the actual line because well you may have oh it in, well while you're looking like, for it let's say that that I word will, I will uh, okay yes you talk that, that word humility up. I think is really important because it's it it is uh it is a word we do not associate with many political figures and uh, the fact that we can i think reasonably uh, attribute it in many instances to the chief justice is uh something uh, something to be said very much in his favor as i've said a bunch of times even though i would often reach different conclusions from uh, from John Roberts, I feel that his overall sort of general philosophical approach uh, 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 is is one that I feel comfortable with. I guess so. Yeah. Anyway, so so the line, and I like to repeat these things just because again, there's so much so often in our country, there's we we've lost poetry, right? Um, but, but every once in God a while, God knows you're not going to hear it from us. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. No, but um, uh, no. His his statement is both the court's opinion and the dissent display a relentless freedom from doubt on the legal issues that I cannot share. Uh, relentless freedom from doubt. Um, so I, I I get that, right? And on a very personal level, uh, abortion, I think for so many people, that that would be, you know, if you were to define their position in those poetic words, uh, a relentless freedom from doubt. You know what I mean? But um, at the same time, like I said, you're you're the chief justice. Um, if if you're not the guy, uh, you know, to weigh in on on legal issues, then yeah. who is? Right. Yeah, and, um, and, and so here here's where I come out on this because I've thought. Obviously, we've talked a lot about this over the years. This issue, and I've spent an awful lot of time recently thinking about it. And so I, I, I first of all, I guess I want to preface this because people might be upset. I don't know, but I think we should point out, uh, I'm going to point out at least that there's oftentimes a distinction between what is constitutionally protected and what is or is not morally right or wrong. Uh, there are things that are hugely important. There are things that uh, ending uh, the protection of would be incredibly bad. That doesn't mean that they're constitutionally protected. We've talked about this in a lot of contexts, right? Good does not mean constitutional. Bad does not mean unconstitutional. And so I want to say, I find it, you know, not just deeply concerning, but completely morally unacceptable, morally repugnant that in multiple states after this ruling, uh, a woman who is uh, who's raped, a victim of rape, a victim of incest, will be forced to carry that fetus to term. I, that, that turns my stomach. And, and if I were in Congress, I would right now be working on some sort of uh, uh, rape and incest victim protection act that would that would 
you know, yeah. kind of deal with this. I, I also would be a huge fan of a constitutional amendment somehow codifying uh, abortion rights. But that said, okay, when I look at the actual, when I look at the, the constitutional arguments and the text of the Constitution and, and everything surrounding that, where I come down on this is, and it's hard for me to say this because it's so counter to my policy preferences and to what I believe should be rights, I, I come down with Justice Thomas on this. And I, 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 hate, I hate the fact that I do, right? Because the logic of Justice Thomas leads me to a place that is just, I feel, deeply wrong morally. Uh, I, I, but that's where I end up if I'm just if I'm just looking at the Constitution. And that's a that's a weird and deeply disturbing place for me to be. But that's that's where I end up, because when I ask myself that question, well, if I were on the court, how would I have ruled on this and whose whose opinion would I have joined? And the only one that I anyway, that's it's. I'm in a I'm, I'm in a also weird place. Here. Down contraception. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm in a weird place here. I I don't like being in this place. Maybe it's the COVID. You know, maybe long, long COVID, Mike. But but I'm sure you see what I'm saying here. Yeah, no, no, I I do, I do, and I I was going to make the same point because um, there are a number of these these state laws right that are kicking in automatically upon the overturn of Roe versus Wade uh, that do not contain rape or incest. Uh, uh, exceptions and i i would and i was thinking a lot about this uh as well um and and the result that i came up with is is sort of similar to what what you just said um although i'll put it in a little different terms the court's job um isn't to determine policy or morality um that is a job that's better left to the legislature so and I can understand from a constitutional standpoint, you would say, well, no, there isn't a constitutional right uh, to abort your fetus uh, in case of rape. Uh, what's the constitutional difference, right, between someone who is uh, 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 pregnant by rape and someone who is not, right? There's no, you're not going to find any text anywhere, uh, even, you know, substantive, well, maybe you can find some sort of substantive due process right there. but still. That's that's just not in there. And that's part of the reason why we have a system that we do uh, where the emotional questions, um, the right and wrong, the morality questions are are more left to the legislature. And there's always this saying that, well, you can't legislate morality. Um, but of course you can. Uh, we do it all the time in, in any bazillion number of, of ways. And the morality that we, we legislate is sort of the collective morality that comes out of uh, the, the democratic process, right? And I, and um, I agree. So but... I think there's, a, there's, a, there's the place for that, right? I very much agree there's a, a place for that. And I, I think we're sort of on the same page here that that ought to come through through the legislature rather than the court. Well, yes and no. I, I agree with that point. But I also believe that there are certain there are certain rights of of uh, persistent minority groups that need special protection because there's always, of course, one concern, sure. right, in a democratic system is that the majority can legislate away fundamental rights of the minority, which right. is why we have a Bill of Rights. I think that's kind of already in the – what I'm saying is I think you could find constitutional provisions 
to protect that or protect well, those rights. Well, I don't think so. I don't think you can find constitutional, clear constitutional provisions to protect uh, uh, people who don't have kind of what we would call standard sexuality. I don't see any constitutional provision based on kind of a Justice Thomas sort of. Oh, no. OK, I, I get what you're and saying. And so here, yeah. therefore, yeah. we have this consistently oppressed minority group, right? that they have no recourse. And if you say, well, rely on the democratic system, that's great, except that might work really well in California or New York. But if you're in Mississippi or Alabama, well, then that's just too bad. And so that's that's where I understand the desire of a lot of folks on the left to say, well, let's just say that people have these rights. And that's where you kind of get into evolving right. constitutional. Right yeah. And I think that I think that these are fundamental rights, but I think that they would be more clearly and and sort of logically consistently uh, enshrined if they actually were rights that were that were rights that were clearly enumerated in constitutional amendments. And that's not going to happen. And so I get the argument saying that, well, what are we going to do then? We can't just leave this at the whim of majorities. But. We're basically leaving it at a whim of a smaller majority of five or six justices on the court, right? So it's, I mean, it's a, it's not an ideal situation, no matter how you look at it. The, to me, the ideal outcome would be, would be a, 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 a reproductive rights amendment to the Constitution. I know it's not going to happen. Yeah. No. I, I again, I would agree that that is the uh, intellectually honest way to go, and I think there would probably be some support for something like that, right? These, you know, there've been these polls showing that people support Roe versus Wade, although it's not entirely clear what, if they understand the question that they're being asked. Yeah, right? exactly. I think that, uh, but and- I think, I think by and large, if, if you made the, the proposal, listen, would you agree to that abortion should be legal in the, you know, whatever first three months. Now, again, there's, is there any constitutional uh, rationale why it's three months and not four months or not uh, two months? Um, not really, uh, but this is a legislative decision, right? So you don't have to have a constitutional rationale. It is that that balancing and and compromise of, of people working working this out. Um, or if which, I say, uh, which is I, I suggested about the, the rape and incest thing, I think it would be really, really. I think it would be. It's certainly plausible that one could get fill uh, well one could get certainly a majority in the house obviously for this right now because we got the, the, the but i wonder in the senate if if the if legislation were introduced like that if that would actually overcome a filibuster that that's a, a sort of an interesting question i don't know if we'll find an answer to that but i think it would be sort of hard for a number of republican senators maybe to sort of uh to sort of defend a vote saying that, well, no, I think that rape, uh, if, if you're raped or or if, you know, someone, uh, you know, that I think that would be hard to defend. And I hope that Senate Democrats will force that issue, because I think it's an issue that should be forced. If you if you don't think that's something that should be uh, enshrined in law, then uh, you should be on record as having to have supported that. Well, if you're raped, then you should have to carry that that uh, the fetus to term. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I, I think that's and to me that. That is what's uh, good about this opinion in the place where we are, is it, it does push these issues back into the legislative realm, which I, I, I think that's, that's the better place for them to be. Yeah, and ultimately— right? Because, look, it's, it's going to be ugly uh, for some time as, as we, we fight these things out, but I think a consensus will, will develop. And 
um, it, it's like the, the the quote I've thrown out a couple times um, uh, from Judge Sutton of, would you rather be governed under Brown versus the board or the 1964 Civil Rights Act? And the answer, the answer is the Civil Rights Act. But I, you know, and I understand your argument here, but again, the frustration, the deep frustration of a lot of folks, especially on the left, is that, yeah, but I believe... We want it now. No, no, but I believe this is the fundamental right, and the fundamental right shouldn't, shouldn't change just because you happen to have been born or lived in Mississippi as opposed to California, and that's absolutely the case. And so that's why I think that the proper that, that that this is not something that should be well. This is something that should certainly be uh, run through the democratic process, but that should not be a matter of law. But that should ultimately be part of the Constitution in clear, unambiguous language, so that in the future it doesn't matter how conservative or anti-woman or what have you, you whatever phrase you want to use, the majority of the court is, they will not be able to look at this and say, oh, no, women do not have the right to terminate a pregnancy because it is here clearly and right. boldly in the Constitution. Right. And that, to me, is the ultimate, that would be my ultimate goal. Okay, well. But again, the problem is, is the process is designed, the, the amendment process is designed in such a way that that would simply not be possible in any way, any world I can imagine. And that's the frustration to me, at least. So, um, you know, let's talk a little bit. We're kind of getting into the politics of this. Do you see this? I mean, President Biden, you know, said that the battle is not over and there's talk about how this might affect the midterms. Well, what do you, what do you think about that? Do you think this is going to have much of an effect on, on elections? Um, I'm, I'm still going to say a little bit on the margins. Um, you know, same thing we, we said about when the opinion leaked. Uh, I think this ener energizes the Democratic base uh, to some extent, but those people who are really energized by this issue were already energized. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's there's going to be some, some maybe increase in intensity. I don't think it turns around the fundamental, it's the economy stupid uh, uh, issue, right? I, I still think the, the major issue going into the midterm is uh, is inflation in the economy. Um, and uh, yeah, this is going to, this will fire some some people in the base up uh, some. Um, and, and maybe it helps you in a couple marginal uh, uh, house races, right, that are, are close calls. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think it, it changes, it changes the equation fundamentally. Yeah, you know, I, I think I understand that reasoning and to a large part, I agree with that. I think it might actually have more of an effect in the slightly longer term as more and more women kind of are in are in situations and realize and, and the people who care about them all of a sudden that, wow, this actually does affect me and this imposes significant burden. And, uh, and some of that's going to happen right away. We're seeing some of that happening right away. But I think, you know, as as that becomes more of an issue, then I could potentially see it being more of an issue in, say, 2024 than it is today as people kind of, as you said, that the, the right. economy. No, I agree. I think, I think that's, that's probably right. Although as um, I think you threw out this, this number a couple of weeks ago. Uh, if, if you look at uh, something like 90% of, of abortions um, would still be legal. If you, if you do the math, right, going by the states where they occur, 
uh, versus states where they're banned. Now, I think that may have been taken into account. Now, that's going to change. And and takes into account all those states that have the trigger laws. Yeah, that's going to change. That's going to change a lot. And so so that's what I think we're going to see much more of an effect as people start to realize that a lot of these trigger laws are 30 days and so forth. And I think much of this is going to happen too soon before the midterms and along with that other bigger issue, at least to to most folks in in the sense that it directly affects them of the economy and inflation for it to be less of a factor in 2022 than I expect it would be in 2024. Oh, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. Any other, any other thoughts on this before we, before we move? Well, gosh, I mean, I I could, I could go on for, 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 for quite a while. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but I, I think we probably should should move on. Do you think? Um, well, you know, one other thing before we do move on, and before we move on, we'll have to kind of take our uh, our, our break. But I wonder about how long a row stood for forty nine years, uh, and uh, you know, certainly there was a, a lot of folks on the right. Uh, there is a great deal of look at it took us it took us a long time it took us generations, and it was the result of a very thoughtful calculated strategy, right, of developing a conservative uh, bench, if you will, and, and, and kind of farm teams to get the court to the point where you could have this sort of thing. The Federalist Society played a big role in this, groups like Heritage and, and so forth. And so, you know, I'm wondering now if the left, uh, certainly the left will, I, I would expect, look to this and say, well, okay, we need to build our own uh, uh, infrastructure or rebuild our own infrastructure on this. And I guess I, I want to get your sense of what do you think the chances of the left uh, doing this sort of thing to re-institute uh, a uh, right to terminate a pregnancy as a fundamental constitutional right? Because we both agree it's not going to happen through an amendment. Do you think that's possible? And if so, what sort of time frame do you think we're looking at for that? So, so first, I, I, I don't know that I entirely agree with you that it's impossible to do through an amendment. I think it's unlikely. I think it'd be an uphill climb. Highly unlikely. How about but, that? Bill but I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out the, uh, the, the possibility. I mean, I think, I think there might be a lot of people, if you pitch this right and said, here's what we want to do. Uh, you know, we want to have a constitutional amendment that says, now, I guess the, the issue is, uh, would there, uh, I, I the, the issue is less, I think, acceptance of the amendment as as who writes it and how it's worded, right? Because I, I don't think I think so much of the the left has has uh, tied itself into uh, abortion on demand anytime anywhere. That I I don't I don't know think that's that true. Any, no, I don't think that's don't true think at so? all. No, no, I think that's the that's the sort of the the, the straw man, the sort of caricature of the left. But no, I think there were plenty of people on well, the left. You, I was, were you reading the signs they were showing yesterday? Oh I mean, yeah, they, but those are. Yeah. I do not think, generally speaking, that people who go out and make signs in front of the Supreme Court are representative of the left as a whole any more than I think that people oh. who stormed the Capitol on January six are representative of the right as a whole. Yeah, but Chuck, I mean, again, Chuck Schumer and AOC are are basically saying that that anytime, anywhere, and the the uh, abortion bill that they had uh, floated, right, the the congressional, um, you know, what they were going to call codification of of, of Roe, uh, would have been that that sort of expansive, anytime, anywhere. 
I don't think that's the codification of Roe isn't anytime, pay. anywhere. It's pre-viability, and so that's not anytime, anywhere. Well, no, I mean it's not. Go it's back just, and talk about no, no, that. As I, a matter, well, no, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, let's not let's not let this drop. Let's be clear: Roe Ro or Casey do not allow, or do not right. do not do not say that states can or, or, or that states cannot prohibit late-term abortions. That's never been the case. If a state wants oh, to correct. prohibit... absolutely. And so this codification of Roe that the House passed would still allow states to ban later-term abortions. So that's just, that's just a matter of fact. Well... I mean, no, it's no, not a well. I, it's a matter I, no, of fact. I, I agree with you on what <clears throat> the court says. I disagree with you on what the bill says. Um, I think, I think the, the, the bill would be much broader than what, what Roe or Casey um, had but but that's that's a that's a okay. conversation for well, well, day, well we we do not have i'll say this we do not have the bill that the house passed in front of us we won't yes. stop at this point to pull it up but i will say that i am i am fairly i'm not judge i'm not chief justice roberts uncertain i am fairly certain though not justice thomas certain that <laughs> jay that jay that you're wrong about this okay but fair enough we will fair check we will, we will check we yeah. will check and we will we will uh discuss uh the next time we are on to clarify this but yeah but my my point is though, <laughs> my, my larger point is i don't see the will um on the left to accept anything less than that than a they a a, a right to abortion anytime anywhere i see what you're saying amendment. i see what you're saying and and and, and I, I likewise i i think you could get some on the right you're not going to get everyone on the right but you could get some who would say whatever 15 weeks or 20 weeks no, or and, 30 weeks. And, and i get it i think it's i think it's very common for us to see our side as having more reasonable people than the other side. And that's what I kind of hear you saying. I see yeah. it. I see it very differently. Um, I, I don't. Uh, well, somewhat differently. Well, I mean, I, I'm saying, look, the, the people of Mississippi, the legislative legislature of Mississippi passed a bill that said 15 weeks. Yeah, exactly. And I think that actually, that's not, I mean, I'm saying that's right. And you're saying that you think that there would not be enough support on the left for sort of a uh, a fifteen week type of constitutional amendment, because they'd say, "Well, it has to be all or nothing," and, and I I think that you're I think that you're wrong about that. Um, but we'll we'll, we'll. and there would and there would be some on the right that would say, "No, life begins at conception, and there can be nothing else." Uh, but what I'm saying is, if you know, Mississippi would seem to be a, a fairly decent representation of the the conservative mind on that. You know, I almost feel like, and this this is going to sound this is going to sound weird, Jay, and it's one of those things where someone's probably already doing it, but uh, and it, the idea that anyone would just a person would do this is weird. But I almost feel like uh, that I should start some sort of a start some sort of a movement for to put together to draft a yeah. what I would consider to be a reasonable uh, uh, reproductive rights protection constitutional amendment because of course these things have to start somewhere and you know you you, you have a campaign and you get people behind it and and that sort of thing and I, that, that that's crazy right that's, no that's exactly that's exactly what i'm saying uh, but i'm i'm just saying the issue isn't i i think if that actually gets going uh could it actually be accepted i i think there is a middle position that most americans could agree on okay. well look, but i think it doesn't get out of the gate 
Well, let, let me say this: If uh, I, I will make this, I will make this pledge right here and now. If there are, if there are enough just listeners of the politics guys who think that they would like to see and could get behind and support in various ways, sort of a that sort of a that sort of an amendment, at least in theory, I will I will happily devote all sorts of time to putting that together to trying to figure out the infrastructure and that. So let me know, seriously, if that's something that, that, that you folks want to see, I'll be willing to do that and we can kind of work on it and maybe we can make something happen. I mean, you know, we have a tendency to say, well, you know, we can't do this because this is a big thing that, you know, only people who are connected or rich can do, but maybe this is something that's, that's worth trying to do. I think it is. And if if you folks tell me that there's enough interest and support just among our listeners for this for me to move forward on this, I will absolutely devote probably what will amount to be a ridiculous amount of time to this. And we'll see where it goes. That's my my pledge to you. So let me know what you think about that. You can again, the way to do that would be, of course, uh, uh, mail at politicsguys.com and uh, or uh, yeah, that will, that will work. Mike at politicsguys.com works too. I get both of those essentially. Uh, and uh, also on, you know, our, our Twitter, or Facebook, anything like that. But uh, I'm totally willing to do that. Discord folks, let me know what you think about that as well. So we need to problem solve. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm willing to take. You know, I, I've been thinking for a while. It's like we talk about a lot of stuff on this show all the time. We don't really do much direct action type of stuff to try to take our what I would say is our bipartisan uh, views and feelings and try to try to do something with those that's very kind of substantive. I would be willing to make this my issue, our issue to try to see if we can find some consensus and common ground and build on this. And so I am dead serious about this. Folks, if you're interested in this, let me know and we will see what we can do about this. So there you go. All right. Well, with that, Jay, I think we need to move from our, uh, our regular show into the supporters segment. And we still have a lot of stuff to talk about, right? Um, we're going to talk about the Senate. We're decided a lot of, you know, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff here, right? That and the, and the vote uh, in Congress on guns. And maybe we could even have time to get into Biden's uh, gas tax suspension thing. The, the January 6th committee, of course, a lot of this is going to depend on how long I can kind of, kind of last. I'm fading pretty quickly <laughs> already here, but, but the point is, is there is a lot more to come. And if you're a politics guy supporter, you're going to hear that in just a minute. And if you're not, just remember, you can become a politics guy supporter. It's patreon.com slash politics guys. You can also support us at Venmo. We're at politics guys or on PayPal. All of those support links are in the show notes and at politicsguys.com slash support. And if you would like to get all this, but you're not in a position to financially support the show, totally not a problem. Just send me an email, mikeatpoliticsguys.com, and I will be happy to give you access to all of the stuff we put out. And as always, whether you're a supporter or not, we would truly appreciate it if you could subscribe, rate the show, leave a review on whatever podcast app you use, and share episodes on social media. That really matters a lot. Thank you so much.